Hello, welcome to my Camino the Podcast. I'm Dan Mullins and it's great to have your company. This is a weekly podcast about El Camino de Santiago, a series of pilgrimages across Europe. You might decide to walk the Camino Frances, the most popular route from Saint-Jean-Pied-de-Port in France over the Pyrenees to Santiago de Compostela in northwest Spain. It's about 800 kilometres or 500 miles. And in Australia, we say it's a bloody long way. <laughs> or you can walk the Camino Norte along the north coast of Spain, the Camino Portuguese. There are three Caminos to choose from in Portugal. The Camino Madrid, maybe, from Madrid to Santiago de Compostela. You choose. And remember, it's your Camino. Do it how you like. And trust me, it will be a magical experience. And you may just find yourself being lured back for Camino after Camino. There are so many places and moments to celebrate on the Camino. You forget so easily the names of the towns and places you stayed and visited. And when I walked a short Camino with my family late last year, I was walking out of Palace del Rey, told my sons they'd happen upon a cafe that day, and the decor will inspire them to buy a beer. And they were to wait for me there. Now, if you've walked the Camino Frances, you'll know that particular cafe, Casa Tia Dolores, where you come around the corner to find a cafe completely covered in empty beer bottles. Well, it's not out of Palace del Rey. It's much later on the Camino between Azua and Opadrezzo. I was certain it was outside Palace del Rey, but I was a few days out. You're just so swept up in the moments that make the pilgrimage special that you let details come and go, and it's really one of the joys of pilgrimage to be that truly free. On another day in 2017, I was walking from Pamplona to Puente Lorena, and I kept my eyes and ears open to make sure I didn't miss the Church of St. Stephen's because I wanted to ring the bell in the church tower. Wrong. It was the day before, between Zubiri and Pamplona. Go! We're so fortunate to have the resources and good health to be able to undertake this wonderful adventure. An adventure on foot and in our hearts. The chance to reboot with the blessing of one of Christ's twelve apostles. The chance to start afresh and to reflect. To take this better self back to those we love. To our communities. To give something back. Because we've taken so much in. To be more patient, more kind, more understanding, more generous. Don't waste it. Make the most of it. There are only so many days, weeks, months and years we have to experience the joys of life. Well, one of the joys of life in my life is reading. And my quote this week is from the Dr. Seuss book, I Can Read With My Eyes Wide Shut. The more that you read, the more things you will know. The more that you learn, the more places you'll go. My guest this week walked the Camino last October, and he did so to experience the trip of a lifetime and to raise funds for a very special cause. Peter Griffiths is on the line. Welcome, Pilgrim. Hi, Dan. How are you? I'm really well. Tell us about how you heard about the Camino. Take us back. I actually think the first time I heard about it, um, the charity you mentioned, Room to Read, I got involved with it in 2012. And at my first meeting, I was told about a guy that was walking the Camino Francais and he was doing the whole thing and he raised um, some astronomical amount of money. And, um, and at the time, I thought, wow, what an amazing thing to do. 
but the idea of 800 kilometers was sort of yeah okay that's not that's for super fit people that's not for me so i um yeah i kind of heard about it, it was in you know, but certainly not as a way not not in any way thinking i'd be doing it um but then for a few years i'd wanted to i'd wanted to do um you know a significant thing to raise money for room to read and back in 2019 i had this idea about the camino Again, dismissed it thinking, don't be stupid. I can't walk 800 kilometers. Um, and then um, it kind of kind of stayed in my brain. And a few months later, I decided, well, let's give it a go. So tell us about the Camino itself. Where did you start? You say you walked 800 kilometers. I'm assuming you did the Camino Frances in October. Tell us all about it. That's right. We, um, well, the first thing, the first surprise to me was when I, after I decided I was going to do it, uh, my wife and I had uh, dinner one night with some good friends of ours, and my mate Bob's, and he said he would do it with me, which I was kind of a bit surprised at. And I said, you know, it's 800 kilometers. And uh, he <laughs> said, yep. So, uh, and he got put back a bit because of COVID, obviously. Um, so anyway, we, um, yeah, we flew into France in uh, August, late August last year. And then we started from St. Jean-Pierre-de-Port on August the 30th. Uh, and the, the one thing we did then, which I think was the best advice I got prior to the Camino, was because my first thought was just to try and walk to Roncesvall up and over the Pyrenees that first day. And um, But then we got advice about, oh, stop at Orison, because that way you break the journey up and you meet your Camino family. And that was awesome. We stayed in Orison at one of the Yalbergues there. And um, that night we had there was 40 people there for dinner. And um, everyone got up at the end at the invitation of one of the staff and explained, introduced themselves, said where they were from and why they were doing the Camino. And after, for the next few weeks after that, we just kept bumping into those people all the way along, along the walk. Yeah, yeah. How did you go over the Pyrenees on that first, on that second day, rather? Um, well, yeah, the, the, the first, the, the first day, the first eight kilometers, that was, that was a pretty hot day because it was the tail end of a fairly hot European summer. So by the time we were walking there, we was probably heading towards 28, 30 degrees because mm. we had a late start because there'd been a problem with our luggage at the, at the airline. But anyway, um, and day two, yeah, it was, it just, that hill just seemed to keep on going and going and going. But, um, <laughs> And especially then, because as anyone who's doing it knows, you're still kind of getting your Camino legs and getting your body used to what you're doing. Because uh, we'd both done a lot of walking in preparation, but I was always concerned we hadn't done enough hill walking. And uh, so, yeah, both walking up and walking down with some of those sleep, sorry, steep, rocky descents was quite challenging. Yeah. D did you train a lot before you went? Yeah, we did. We walked pretty. We walked a lot around Sydney. A few, each of us uh, together or separately did. We walked like a hundred k's over five days. Um, I mean, I think we prepared for it almost as well as we could have done. We had that. We bought all the gear well in advance. We walked with backpacks on, as you, you know, the advisor to do. Um, we had the right equipment, and then we were very careful about what we um, what we took with us. Um, to, the, to the extent that both of us decided that we're going to, we're reading all these things about minimizing what you take. So we decided we weren't going to shave for the duration of the Camino because we weren't going to carry uh, shaving gear. 
And the plan was at the end of it all, we'd get to Santiago because the plan I should have said was that our wives probably thought it slightly crazy in um, doing this crazy walk. And, but they agreed, they've known each other since they were schoolgirls. So they decided they would meet us in Santiago. So the plan was we weren't going to shave, we're just going to walk the length of the Camino. They get a bit of a shot when they saw these two hairy guys turn up in Santiago. <laughs> and then we shave off we, then we shave off the beards, but in actual fact we kept them because it was you know, we actually quite liked them. Um but yeah, I think we I think we prepared pretty well, other than maybe needing to find some bigger hills to walk up and walk down. Yeah, I don't know that you ever really can be entirely prepared. That's probably no. one of the joys, really, isn't it? As you find yourself oh, yeah. getting fitter, uh, you you find that you don't suffer quite so much, and it's it's one of the one one of the great things about it. You don't feel so tired. About two weeks in, one day we 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 were finished walking for the day. We're in some I really don't recall where it was, but I remember saying to Bob, you know, I said we've walked twenty five kilometers today, but I don't feel like we've done anything. You know, because by yeah. then we kind of got used to it, and it was yeah, it was good. Yeah, what a joy, what a joy. And tell us then about Room to Read. Uh, you said that you, you thought, I'll, well, I'll raise some money, and you did. You raised a lot, $5,600, which is a lot of money. Uh, tell us about yeah. Room to Read and how you learned about it and, and, and what your understanding of it is and, and the work it does. Okay, so Room to Read started in 2000. Now, I heard it by chance, the founder of Room to Read, a guy called John Wood. And in back in 2012, he was out there promoting his first book, which was how he set up Room to Read. And really it set up in a very simple way where um, John, uh, back in the late 90s, worked for Microsoft, high-powered, high-pressure job, well-paid, etc. But he managed to get away to Nepal to do a bit of trekking. He visited a school in Nepal, and um, the principal there sort of said, oh, we'd look, if you could bring some books back, we'd love you to bring some books back because the, the books they had for uh, Nepean, uh, sorry, Nepalese primary school was like a James Joyce and a Danielle Steele book. That was their library. Mm. So um, 12 months, and most people probably intend to come back and never do. But John came back 12 months later with a whole stack of books and um, the kids went wild over it. And then he sort of decided he was going to walk away from this well-paid job at Microsoft and um, start this charity. So um, so initially it was about donating books, but since over the past, what, 23 years now, they now, I mean, they started in Nepal. They primarily work in countries in Asia and Africa. Um, they're, now, they're now operating in about 20 countries around the world. But the great thing is they, well, they help to support schools and build schools and train teachers. They particularly focus on girls' education because they find it in the countries that they work in that it's the girl, if anyone's going to get an education, it'll be the boy. The girl will be expected to um, be married by the time she's 13 and pregnant by the time she's 15 and will then just keep, and then no doubt the same thing will happen with her kids. And they found that, well, if you get if you support the families and enable girls to get educated, they'll have less children, be more educated and have far better outcomes. And eventually, so that will flow down through generations to come. So, um, but they monitor, you know, what I'm trying to do my little bit over here to support fundraising, uh, but they monitor close to everything they do. So they really do, I think, about 80% of money raised by Room to Read goes to the charity that goes towards the causes and that Room to Read support. 
Um, so they still, you know, the estimate there's still 750 million people in the world that are, are illiterate, and two thirds of those people are women and girls. So they estimate at the moment in the past 23 years that they've helped about around about 32 million children. Wow. And you raised over $5,600, I said in the intro. That's a lot of money. How will it be spent, Peter? Do you know? Um, that bit I don't know. Um, you can, I think, I'm pretty, when you donate, you can sort of say, look, I want to donate to a particular country. Right. Uh, uh, or you can just say, look, hey, look, you you do you do with it what you want. And I obviously I trust them to do the right thing. I know they will. Um, but they do, but they're not. So it may, may go on. Uh, system because they also work. I should have said in partnerships with local communities. It's not sort of a a thing where you sponsor a particular child in a particular country. They um, work together. So they'll say, "We've got the finances. Have you got people willing to be teachers, willing to help build schools or build libraries?" And they also publish one of the causes that the money will go to. I believe they publish and write the the published books in local languages of that particular country and they often joke that they're probably the biggest publisher of children's books that no one's ever heard of because they're working countries overseas primarily um so yes i don't know exactly where it will go but uh, i know it will make a difference in, in many people's lives yeah i was touched i went to the website to do some research and it says Room to Read is creating a world free from illiteracy and gender inequality. We are achieving this goal by helping children in historically low-income communities develop literacy skills and a habit of reading, and by supporting girls as they build skills to succeed in school and negotiate key life decisions. We collaborate with governments and other partner organizations to deliver positive outcomes for children at scale. There are some wonderful people in the world, aren't there, Peter? Oh, yeah, and I think John's done a hell of a job in, and he's several for COVID sort of stopped a bit, but we used to have a wine gala every year where John would come out for, and we'd raise around about two million on one night. Wow. And we, I would go and volunteer there for, and it was almost, I mean, it's still happening now on a lot on a lower scale, but it's still, it was an amazing night to be involved with. Yeah, and it's, look, obviously, if any of you, uh, listeners are interested, I would encourage anyone to get involved with the charity. Yeah, roomtoread.org. I'll give the details again before the end of the interview. I talked about their people around the world being wonderful. Tell us about some of the people from all around the world that you met on the Camino. Oh, yeah. that I mean, I've listened to our podcast for a long time before I went out and did the Camino, and I'd often heard people talk about the great people you meet, but that was really, really was true. We met so many wonderful nights where we'd sit down in a bar somewhere and have dinner and all of a sudden one minute you're three people, the next minute you're 12 and you've got people from all over the world. Um, so we met some wonderful characters. I mean, we met a wonderful lady from America called Bonnie. Bonnie was 75. And Bonnie, to, to and I don't think she would dispute this, she, she, to be honest, she looked more like she, she'd been in your local library. And sadly, she'd just lost her husband 12 months back. But she walked, She did up and over the Pyrenees on day one, which was more than we could manage. And she was a wonderful uh, lady who, unfortunately, she couldn't, couldn't quite manage the whole distance because of um, her back gave out a bit on her and she had to sort of bail out at Leon. Um, but, yes, yeah, so then we met a great South African couple, Barry and Jules. We met people from America, uh, a wonderful guy from um, Hungary called Marte. 
who um, is a real, it was one of the real characters. And, and yeah, it was just sitting around the table each night with so many people from different nation, different nationalities was awesome. And as you might guess, I'm from England originally. And a friend of mine from England came out and joined us for the last 100 from Sari. So it was nice just to have um, him join me for that last section. But um, yeah, it was just many wonderful nights and I've got the photos and we've managed to stay in touch with quite a few people um, since we got back. Yeah, how lovely. What did you learn about yourself on the Camino, Peter? Um, I think I thought I was always a fairly determined person, but I think that proved to me that I could really do this. I mean, one of my... Uh, I was determined that because I was being sponsored, I was determined that come hella high water, I was going to walk every step of the way. And unfortunately, I picked up a cold at one point. So for three days, I sort of reluctantly uh, arranged for my bag to be carried on, um, transported on, and just carried a bottle of water. Um, but I was determined that there is no way in Hades I'm going to not walk every step unless I physically, you know, unless I have an injury. So I think I should prove to myself that look if i put my mind to something i can i can do anything yeah yeah how lovely and with that again that the commitment to trying to make the world a better place by encouraging young people particularly girls to read is a really lovely dedication what about when you got home then how does it resonate in your life now um i mean i'm still involved with room to read now i must admit there was when we after we got to santiago we met our wives and then we had uh, 12 days in Portugal just to sort of wind down a bit and um, yeah there was um, yeah, I, I think people talk about a bit of a post-Camino depression I probably had a bit of that when I got back probably because it had been such a focus in my life for about what four years really yeah. and all of a sudden it wasn't there so um, yeah but I mean obviously you get you settle back into life um, but I've kept on walking since then I've actually joined uh there's a good bushwalking group in Sydney called the All Nations Bushwalking Group. So because I'd got used to walking in new areas and seeing new places, and I was a bit sick of my local streets. So, uh, you know, I'm still walking now and enjoying that and been up and all over Sydney in the past few months. So that's been good. So Yeah, yeah. What about the walk itself? Um, we talked about the training you did. Did you do it easily, do you think? Look, I think... Look, Bob's a bit older than me, and I think he would agree that he struggled at times. But it, to give to give me full credit, he got through it. I felt that with my training, most of the days, um, I, there was no day where I felt at the end of it, oh, I can't go on. Often, some of those days, the last two, couple of kilometres, uh, we were always seemed to be, you know, the hardest in many ways. I, I read a quote by someone who said that to be wary about those Spanish villages with legs. Because you see them in the distance and you've got about two or three k's to go and no matter how far you walk, they don't seem to get any closer. <laughs> so, um, but look, I, I, I honestly felt, you know, that I handled it pretty well. And I, mm. that's what I I mean, some of the hills obviously were challenging, especially into Osobrero, which I think was probably one of my hardest days. And, um, but yeah, I was happy. I certainly didn't sort of feel that... Um, and even at the end of it, it was nice. Okay, it was nice not to have to get up the following day and walk another 25 kilometres, but I didn't sort of, you know, felt full of energy at the end. So, yeah. you know. Yeah. And we were lucky with, with, we were very lucky with the weather. It hardly rained at all. 
And in terms of injuries, we have we saw quite a few people. I mean, we had no blisters at all, which we're lucky about. And we saw, I mean, quite a few people. We heard stories about how they'd hurt themselves. One guy had uh, we'd heard about a lady that broke her shoulder, I think, because she slipped on one of those steep, rocky descents. And um, so we were we felt very fortunate that we got through with intact. Should we say? Yeah, yeah. What do you think was your greatest challenge, Peter? Um. It's a challenge. Good question. I think my worst day on the Camino was the day where you go up to the Iron Cross because that was one of the days I was sick and that was also the morning of the worst weather we had. So I remember walking into a cafe very early on and it was windy, it was wet, I was sick. And we knew we had about a 31k day ahead of us. And I'm not saying I didn't want to give up then, but that was certainly my lowest point of the Camino where I just thought, you know, and I knew there'd be days where, you know, like life, not, not every day of life is fun. So I knew there'd be days where it wasn't fun. And that was probably one day where it wasn't. But, you know, having got through that, um, you sort of felt, well, the worst is over. We can we can do this. So, yeah, um, yeah. yeah. So what then, if that was your greatest challenge, what did you consider your greatest triumph? Um, I think, well, I mean, obviously, I guess finishing it is, is one obvious answer. Um but I was pleased along the way that um, we were able to spread the word about Room to Read. I had a Room to Read. We had like three, t- I had three T-shirts that I basically rotated. One had Room to Read all over it, so which was obviously taken deliberately to try and promote the charity. And um, I was pleased that I was able to promote that a lot. And quite a few pilgrims were, were kind enough to say, oh, what's your charity? Oh, well, send me, an email, send me the link and I'll sponsor you. So um, I was pleased to sort of um, be able to keep promoting that because, well, that was the main goal was to raise money, but it was also for the adventure. And, you know, I'd never been to Spain before doing the walks. So, But finishing it was undoubtedly, you know, a great walking into that square in Santiago was, um, yeah, it was a fantastic moment. That's my next question. Tell us all about arriving in Santiago. Um, so... Yeah, well, our wives, we knew our, we knew our wives were in the air. They, they'd had two weeks traveling around France and Spain uh, via car, obviously, um, enjoying themselves. And then we knew they'd be in um, uh, Santiago when we got there. So we were sort of communicating with them so they knew where we were. And um, and then I remember walking through that the archway there that everybody walks through. And uh, there was a, a guy playing the bagpipes. Uh, I don't know if that's, I don't know if he's always there. He was always there for the time we were in Santiago because we had two days there. Mm, And yeah, it was a magical moment to walk into that square to see for us both to see our wives and to think we'd done it. And they were obviously both very proud of us. And uh, yeah, and that whole day of seeing other people that had done the walk as well and and, uh, having a wonderful dinner that night. Um, Probably the only disappointment was we didn't get to see the the Botafumero. well, we saw it in the in the cathedral there, but it wasn't uh, in operation, so, so that was disappointing. But we knew it was uh, there was a chance that could happen. So yeah, um, yeah. But it was a magical moment just to walk, and even now when I see the photos of the cathedral at Santiago, it just brings back all those memories. Yeah, yeah, I love it. I really love it. Um, how far were you walking each day? Um, well, we did it all in. 40 days and we had six rest days so that's oh. what 800 k is over 34 days so we re- i think the least we did was 18 the most we did was about 32 or 33 um 
But um, so we, I assume, would have averaged out about twenty-five. But but I said we had rest days. But I, 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 after a while, I couldn't call them rest days because, you know, we we had a, officially had rest days in what Burgos and Pamplona and Lyon, and I sort of said, look, I can't be in these cities and not go and explore. So I'll, I'll be out. You know, probably I did probably Bob took the sensible thing of resting pretty more than I did. But I was keen to get out and explore the city as much as I could. Yeah. And well, all that still had a long walk the following day. So I call them explore days because I didn't do too much resting. But anyway. Uh, explore days. I like that. No, I know. I, yeah. I, there was one day in 2016 where I walked further after I'd arrived in the town than I did to get to the town. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that might have been Leon. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Leon, that's my favourite place. I love Leon. It was yeah, so fantastic. Easy spent a couple more days there. Um, because they, what, we also did the thing that most people tell you not to do. We pre-booked everything. Right. Which I wanted to, I just didn't want, I couldn't handle the thought of maybe getting to a place and having nowhere to stay. And realistically, we're both in our 60s, so... I was happy to have the albergue experience, but I kind of wanted to mainly have hotels where at least you have your own space. So, um, so, and that worked out very well. I mean, um, the, um, you know, there was no time where we didn't stick. And I know that's the risk you don't, if you don't stick to your itinerary, you may have a problem, but thankfully we always did. And, um, but having said that, some of the Alberta, I mean, we stayed in some of the Alberta and there were, great experiences themselves the communal meals you had there i know one albergue had this massive paella that they just made for everyone who was staying and that was great fun so yeah yeah did you find at any stage peter that you had booked an albergue or a hostel and the booking wasn't there when you arrived um no, I can't say we did. Oh, well, that's we good actually, news. That's good news, yeah. There was one place we actually booked into the... We, we actually tried to book into the Royal Albergue because they were next to each other, and we didn't realise. And, and they had a, obviously had a bed, and then we realised, thankfully, before we... Oh, well, I think we gave them money, then realised it was actually the one next door we're supposed to be at. <laughs> um, but, um, but, yeah, I mean, the Albergues was a good experience. I mean, even the, not, the one at Orison, we were in, uh, I think it was a six-bedded room with... But then the following one, I think, was at Roncesvalles. It was kind of male and female in the dormitory, and that was kind of a bit of a shock to me. I'm thinking, okay, I wasn't quite expecting, you know, males and females in the same um, dormitory. But I guess obviously they've, they've got to do that. And um, but it was all it was all part of that that wonderful experience that the Camino is. Yeah, I wonder then about that planning. How busy was it? Do you think you would have uh, been able to get a bed even if you hadn't booked? Uh, look, I think we, we did hear some stories. Actually, we heard, I think a couple of days, we left uh, St. Jean-Pierre-de-Port on the 30th of August. And we did hear that, I think uh, one or two nights later, there was pilgrims sleeping in the pilgrim office because there was nowhere in the town for them to sleep. Um but then we, as when we walked along, we sort of found that we did hear like yod story of people not being able to find a room. But what we did realise though is when you look at all those places dotted along the way, every little village has several albergues. So if you don't mind, you know, taking your taking your chance on what type of albergue you might be in, um, then um, then I think usually you'd find somewhere. 
Um, but we, I, I just like the fact, I also like the fact that we didn't have to rush when we're walking because we knew where we're staying. And um, I mean, it did change very much. The whole Camino experience did change a lot from Saria because you get a lot of people, as you'd know, that join the walk from Saria. Um, and um, so it changes the, the atmosphere a lot because mm-hmm. um, prior to that, you're walking into all these cafes and, oh, there's so-and-so from three nights ago that you yeah. had dinner with. And that's one of the joys of it. Um, I mean, when I, I mentioned that night, that first night in Orison, and the funny thing was, we were all introducing ourselves, and uh, we got when we sat down, we chatted to people around us. And there's Bob and I from Sydney, and we had a couple from South Korea opposite. And he didn't introduce himself; he sang a song when he was asked to, which was wonderful. I don't know what the song was about, but it was a wonderful <laughs> experience. <laughs> in all this multiracial, multinational group, I sat next door to someone. Now, I, I, my job is I work as a community mental health nurse. And um, I spoke to the guy next door to me who was called Brad. Now, Brad was from me. He said, oh, I'm from Melbourne. I said, oh, okay, great. You know, and I still think, you know, sit next to uh, another Australian. And um, I said, to, uh, he said, oh, what do you do? He said, oh, I work in a hospital. And um, I said, okay. And he said, actually, he said, I'm a, he said, I'm a community mental health nurse. Oh, no. I said, <laughs> so I messaged back to my work, my, my team at work saying, would you believe, I've been in this room with all these people from all over the world, no. and I've sat next to a community mental health nurse from Melbourne. So this is a really tough question, but was there a highlight? One thing that you can say, oh, that was the highlight of my Camino, Peter? It's a tough question. Um, there's t- probably too many to to name. I mean, I think, yeah, I think I think even the first day walk at the Pyrenees was was fantastic. Just seeing the the views. Um, uh, some of the that's oh a hard question um, I mean again finishing is obviously a highlight but it wasn't just about finishing I think one of the greatest things I mean you, know, you, you could walk from Sydney to Melbourne and that would be a similar distance but you're not going to meet the people along the way that we met uh, and uh, I, I think probably that the I think one doubt the conversation we had with people along the way some of them was only for a brief hour here and there, but it gets you through and all of a sudden you're, you know, you've walked 20Ks and you've not even noticed because you've just been having a conversation with someone. And um, so, yeah, I, I think the the people you meet and, and certainly, you know, we met a lot of people that were walking on their own. And, um, but they, you know, you can walk on your own and you, you can be with people as much as you want to be with people. So, um, yeah, I think the, the friendships we made along the way and, the the many wonderful nights in the various cafes and bars were definitely a highlight. What about a low light? What was something that you just thought, uh, you know, I'm a bit disappointed about that? Um, I, I was curious. I think I know the Iron Cross wasn't my best; it was my worst day. Um, but I think that wasn't quite as impressive. I think that'd be a lot. I thought that'd be a lot more impressive than it was. I didn't quite. When we actually got to it, I wasn't actually entirely sure it was the Iron Cross. I, I, I don't know why I expected something much bigger or grander or but having said that I wasn't you know I wasn't at my best then so maybe yeah. that was part of that and um, and as I say it would have been wonderful to have seen the Bada Fumero we were all there in that packed church and we got there the mass was 7.30 I think and we thought oh well we'll get there early we'll get there like at 10 to 7 yeah I think we'd have had to be there at 6 o'clock to get a seat because yeah. every 
it was at the seats were long gone and even at 10 to 7 we could at the 40 minutes early we were lucky to find a spot um the only the sad thing was we did actually unfortunately hear about some that died along the way he'd had a heart attack and uh Marte, the hungarian guy I mentioned earlier he um i think he'd walked with him but unfortunately we heard later that he'd um he died which was oh, yeah. which was also a reminder that it's a you know it's still a tough long walk and you've got to i mean I'm, I'm not quite sure what led to his death but um but uh but undoubtedly if you prepare properly and you're in good health and you take your time um i mean we there was a a lady um called Marg from Queensland, who we met, who, and she was struggling a fair bit earlier on. She had problems with her uh, foot, I think, and knee. And at one point, she was certainly, I think, about to give up. But she made it. She finished it. You know, it was well after we did. Uh, and we haven't, I've not had a chance to see her since then. But, um, you know, she just took her time and she got there. So, you know, everyone can do it, really. Yeah, well, I think that's one of the things, isn't it? That if you're realistic about your ability, then you're not likely to be taking risks that could potentially put your your life in danger, or even not yeah. even not not your life in danger, but but trying to walk treacherous paths in after heavy rain is dangerous. So just don't do things that are going to put, yeah. you, put you in danger. Would there be something that you would have done perhaps differently? This, if you were to go back again, would there be something you would do differently? Um, we're actually pretty happy with how we've done it. I think the only thing we did talk about afterwards was maybe adding a couple of extra days in. So to take to remove those, we had about three or four days of 32 kilometres or something like that. So we did talk about maybe... You know, with hindsight, we might have added a couple of extra days in and maybe reduced those, taken out those 30K days and reduced them down to, you know, more more like 25 each day or something. So I think that was the only thing afterwards we talked about was maybe being something we could have changed for the better. Yeah, yeah. And what about if I could pick you up and drop you in one place for a day and a night? Where would that be? Uh, uh, Leon would have to be the place I love. Yeah. Uh, it was. I mean, the cathedrals obviously at Burgos and at Leon are absolutely mind blowing. And um, you know, I've seen one or two cathedrals both in England and here in Australia, like St Mary's in Sydney. But you see those places, and they are stunning. And uh, but it wasn't just the cathedral, Leon. It was. I love looking at Gaudi's work um, and just the shops. And there was also the most um, bizarre thing in Leon. We told. We were told that. We were staying right in the middle of the and it was a Saturday, and we're told was that there is a parade happening that night. I was like, oh, okay. So we went out for dinner and didn't really think too much of it. And when we came out, the parade was in full swing. And it was apparently afterwards we heard they were celebrating, or as a memory, memorial of the life, of, like celebrating the Passion of Christ, albeit it was September. And so there was a lot of uh, these floats being held aloft by people. There must have been about 12 or 15 floats or depicting various uh, things to do with the Passion of Christ. Now, the thing is, the weird thing was where the floats were all carried, must have been 20 people under each float. They were all the same size. So how you get that many people of the same size, there must have been, there must have been, I mean, must have needed 150 people, all of whatever height they were. Uh, they were all wearing black hoods. Oh. It, it felt quite, 
it quite, felt quite satanic and the music that was being playing felt quite eerie and foreboding and we felt like we were in some sort of B-grade horror movie where we turned up in this place and, I don't know, someone was going to be sacrificed or something. But it was just, it was bizarre but wonderful at the same time. Uh, and we, we if since, since then, we even at the time we Googled it, we never really did find out what it was all about. But so, um, but it was, yeah, so Leon was just a place that had so many amazing memories. How fantastic. So I'm certain you've heard me ask this question before. Do you think the Camino is for everyone? I would say yes, it is because we. A, because if you want to do the whole thing, then, yeah, if you plan properly and train properly um, and allow time for it, you can do it. But we found well, there's a few people we ran into who either didn't have the time to do the whole thing. So we met um, a wonderful lady from America, uh, Jane, who, from memory, she didn't have time to walk the whole thing. So we, we bumped into her and now Burger and then we And then she was flying from, I think, from Leon to Saria, and then finishing off at the end. So, you know, you can match it to whatever time you've got, or if you don't feel you're up to doing the whole thing, we well, can always just go into go from Saria. I don't think anyone, if they just did it from Saria, that's still a hundred k's over however many days you want to do it for. Yeah, yeah. And I think that would they would enjoy it as well. So um, I think if you enjoy, if you're not too daunted by the challenge and. Um, you just enjoy meeting people from all over the world, then I would say definitely do it. You mentioned earlier that you were a community mental health uh, carer. Do you yeah. think the Camino could be helpful for somebody who is perhaps not as well as they would like to be in a mental health sense? Do you think it, it, oh, it, it can be good for your mental health? Most definitely. I think having that time to be out there... Uh, uh, and either talk to people you want to talk if you don't want to talk then um, just having time to yourself uh, and having time to think is definitely good I mean we met um, we met a wonderful South African couple Barry and Jules who we, they were in the first the Orison on the first night and they unfortunately lost or Barry lost his son due to long COVID and that was I think oh. it was 12 months almost to the day since Barry had lost it so they were enjoying just getting out and um having time just to think and um and then there's another girl um whose name escapes me she was a 28 year old girl who had had a um she just had unfortunate relationship breakup she thought she's planning for a, a wedding to this guy who then left her and married someone else so she was coming out and i know people often do this they were wanting time away from the normal lives just to sort of think and to sort of process what had happened uh, and then to make plans for the rest of their lives so it's definitely would help anyone's mental health just to get out there and just to be in nature, just to walk along the way, just to, um, you know, be with nature and just see God's glory, really. Yeah, yeah, how fantastic. Are there more Caminos on the horizon for Peter? Not maybe, I don't know, maybe not. Um, actually, to, to be honest, I know this is not the subject of your podcast. The next, I mean, the next walking thing I'm thinking about is something bit different but challenging its own way which is the um everest base camp walk oh yeah which not as far but it's challenging in its own way so um that's kind of but i also want to i don't want to spend every holiday walking either i want to 
spend time <laughs> with the wife and go out and to just be tourists somewhere. So Yeah, good for you. How fantastic. Well, look, I think it's wonderful what you've done. I, I really do. The, the walk is challenge enough for most of us, but to raise funds and awareness for Room to Read is a great achievement in itself. But before I let you go, tell us a Camino story. Um, okay, those, I can tell two fairly quickly, fairly brief ones. So the, the Spanish people were so wonderful um, and they're so keen to help us. And we did hear the story about a girl, actually the one who lost, had the relationship breakup, she was apparently, she told us how she was unbeknownst to her walking in the wrong direction. And a couple of other pilgrims are following her, thinking she was going the right way. And a lady came out from her inside her house, came rushing out and waving at her and saying, pointing in the right direction to say, you know, you're going in the wrong way. So that was typical of so many times you're walking in out of cities and, um, Maybe we're not quite sure where the arrows are, and then someone would stop and point us. So they were Spanish people were so keen to help us. But but my main Camino story would be when we walked into uh, Santiago on that morning. I walked in with my my, my mate Bob, my English mate Jed, and um, Marte, the, the uh, Hungarian guy. And when we walked into you know we walked into Santiago saw our wives and I kind of lost track of where everyone else was. So anyway, we're doing all the, you know, sort of hugging and, you know, celebrating and all that and taking photos. And then I think it might have been that night where we met up again for dinner. Uh, Marte um, showed us all these photos he'd taken. So he'd had the thought, even though he was a single guy, he'd had the thought to step aside and take photos of Bob and I meeting our wives in the square in, in Santiago. And it was such a wonderfully thoughtful thing that he did. It was just fantastic. So he sent the photos to us, and the photos we never would have had because they were filming us walking in, but there would have been no footage or photos of us meeting our wives there. So that was just a fabulous thing that Marte did. So that's yeah. probably my favourite memory there, yeah. yeah. That's a great story. Tell me, just just on on both of your wives, yours, your wife and Bob's wife, did they see a change in you? Not just the beard. Um, it, afterwards, you mean? Yeah. Um, I. Ooh, that's a good question. I, I'm not actually asked them that. Um, and I know Bob's wife because you know I mean, neither of us have walked anything like this before. So I know Bob's wife, Lee. I think was very impressed that Bob managed to do the whole thing. <laughs> uh, um, and obviously, and Linda was so impressed too. And um, so. I mean, certainly nothing that Linda's actually said to me that, I mean, I think she was just impressed by my dedication that I was just prepared to keep doing it regardless of what. And she would keep saying to me, you know, it doesn't matter if you if you have to get a taxi or if you need to do something, you're still going to raise the money. I said, that's not the point. I'm doing it unless I physically can't do it. So um, I think for both of the wives, they would probably be impressed at our determination just to keep going and um, just to finish it and to finish it with a smile on our face. Yeah, how fantastic. I can still hear that smile in your face. And, and I'm yeah. sure there are times when you reflect on your achievements in terms of not only the challenge, as I said, 
for most of us, the challenge is enough. But for you, you decided to raise funds and awareness of Room to Read. It's a truly great achievement. Thanks, Peter. It's been an absolute joy talking with you. I really appreciate your time. And thank you for taking the time to share your story and share your knowledge and to raise awareness again of Room to Read, the global story, which is a great story in itself. Buen Camino. Thanks, Dan. My guest this week was the Australian pilgrim Peter Griffiths. Peter raised funds for Room to Read, a charity teaching children, in particular young girls, to read. And you can find them at roomtoread.org. Remember the quote from the Dr. Seuss book, I can read with my eyes wide shut. The more that you read, the more things you will know. The more that you learn, the more places you'll go. And we all have so many places to go. Thanks for your company this week and every week. Until next week, I'm Dan Mullins. Buen Camino. Somewhere along the way, some